Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Lee Hansen, and I'm the director of student ministries and the associate pastor of the table. All the other pastors were busy this morning, and so they, uh, they sent me to be with you. But nonetheless, I'm glad to be here. If you've been with us, we've been in this series, The Essential Teachings of Jesus, words that we should live by. And as John and Brad and I were discussing what we'd want this series to look like and, and what we'd want to include, we realized that one of the Sundays was Communion Sunday and we thought it was significant. And so we thought we'd take a look at an interesting idea of, of who Jesus ate with. Right? Like who were the people that Jesus sat around a table with? And, and what does that mean for us? And as Carrie mentioned in her children's sermon, my teaching underlies the reality that Jesus Christ came for sinful, broken people. And he calls us as followers of Jesus into the world to love the exact same way that he did. I want to share a story with you. A couple years ago, I had a, had a friend that got married. He and his wife were a godly couple. They, they were active in a local church. They were in a small group, all, all good and healthy things. And through an unfortunate series of events, his wife ended up having an affair. It was a horrible thing, really painful. And I remember processing with him, and I could literally see the hurt on my friend's face. And the anger and the frustration, all things that, that seemed actually really valid at the time. And I'll, upon reflecting on this, I remembered something he said to me that took me a little bit off guard. He said to me one time, he said, you know what the hardest part is for me, Lee? The hardest thing for me to swallow is that she gets to take communion with me. That she gets to come to Jesus' table right next to me. And in that moment, I became just as concerned for my friend's heart as I was for his spouse. Because you see, what my friend had done was closed off Jesus' table. He had created this internal document inside of his heart declaring who was in and who was out. He had created this, this boundary line that said, you're worthy of God's love and grace right up until this point. But as soon as you cross that line, you're not and there's no turning back. And you know, we, we do things like this all the time. Perhaps it, it, it's a group of people like a different political party. Or maybe a different social class, a different race, or perhaps someone with a different sexual orientation than yours. And we do it to individuals as well. Maybe it's the, the, the person whose moral system isn't quite the same as yours. Or the family whose family values may not, may not look just like yours. Or maybe it's the, the man or the woman that you know that deeply struggles with addiction and just can't quite seem to get it together. I think if we take an honest look at ourselves and inside of our hearts, that we all have those people in our life that we wouldn't feel so different about. And what happens is that we ostracize those people. And that word ostracize literally means to exclude someone or a group of people from society. Jesus said that the world will know who we are by the way that we love each other. And you know what? I think I'm pretty good. I really do. I think I do a pretty good job of loving people that look like me and that believe what I believe, that think like I think, that talk like I talk and, and hang out in the places that I hang out at. 
And preparing for this message, I had to ask myself a really hard question. How am I really doing? If I strip everything away and just look at the facts and the realities of my life, how am I really doing loving the people in my city and in my neighborhood and maybe even in my own family that are different from me? And in a similar way, I ask, I ask you the same question. How are, how are we doing loving the people that make us feel uncomfortable? The people that have either been ostracized or the people that have ostracized themselves. Because there's not much difference in those two types of people because the reality is those people are on the outside. Regardless of how they got there, and if that is where they are, I believe that Jesus invites us into that space to be with and to love and to reconcile. And I believe that those are the types of people that Jesus is inviting to his table. I called this sermon an open table because in the scriptures, like I mentioned, we see Jesus sitting around the table with people often. And it's really significant because meals were a big deal in Jesus's day, much more so than they are today because who you sat around a table with and who you ate with said a lot about who you were and what you cared about. And it was interesting that Jesus doesn't often sit around a table with the people that I would have thought he would have. And the story I'm going to share with you today confronted me with one of the simplest and yet challenging truths in the Bible. You ready for it? It's pretty profound. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves everybody. And so the story goes, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and he followed Jesus. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And so Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think that they are righteous, those who think that they're not sinners, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. One of my favorite parts about this story is a simple word in the very beginning where it says Jesus saw a tax collector. Other versions say that he noticed a tax collector. And so often in my head, I I picture Jesus getting up and knowing exactly what's going to happen from the the moment he woke up till the moment he went to bed. And I don't know that that's how it always necessarily happened, although I do believe that Jesus lived a very concise and precise mission very clearly every step of every moment of every day. And that was to walk in step with his father and show people his father's love. And so what I love about this story, it starts out, it's just Jesus walking down the street and he saw a tax collector. He noticed a tax collector. And Jesus had created enough margin in his life to actually move towards someone who had been pushed out to the edges and the fringes of society. And so Jesus calls him to follow him. Interesting that Jesus would call a tax collector. Tax collectors works for the Romans and, and, and people hated the Romans. And so tax collectors, just by default, they were despised. They were viewed as traitors and outcasts because they worked for the enemy and they were often quite greedy. They would collect money and they would collect extra and skim off the top and take from people what didn't belong to them. 
Jesus had specific words about those who reject church discipline that show us how tax collectors were thought of and treated. Jesus said this, if, if he refuses then to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Tax collectors, wealthy as they might have been, were shunned. They were actually so dishonest and so disrespected that they weren't even allowed to testify in a court. Another interesting note about tax collectors. While all these things are true about tax collectors, it was also the custom that tax collectors grew up in the area that they were in charge of. And if you think about the implications of what that means, it means that Levi grew up with these people that he was now stealing from. Levi grew up around these people. He probably played with them when he was kids and and shared meals with them. And at some point, this group of people had pushed Levi to the outskirts. They had excluded him from their society. The fact that Jesus would even engage with this man in conversation is a marvel to me because he's despised, he's hated. Maybe, perhaps, the most unloved man in all of Capernaum. And Jesus calls him to be his disciple. How wonderful. The text says that later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And then it says that many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. And you can picture Levi responding to Jesus' invitation to follow him with the only really appropriate way in complete gratitude. And he throws Jesus' party. Luke describes it with the word megas. It wasn't a small, intimate gathering with a few friends and a, a quiet little deal. It was a huge party. It says he invited many of his friends and other tax collectors. One commentator says it this way. Picturing the scene, he says, It was no doubt an unscrupulous, loud, and perhaps vulgar company of people And Jesus was among them. He did not compromise anything of his character by keeping company with this lot. He maintained his dignity. And I love this next part. But he also bestowed dignity upon these who had become outcasts of religious society. Just by his presence and acceptance of them as people of value. The religious contingent that had been stalking him was incensed. Their impression of holy people was that they kept themselves removed from sinners. This was not the pattern of Jesus, and it is not the pattern that he has for us. And if I put myself in this story, I wonder how I would have handled it. And I'll tell you what I know how I would have handled it. The same way I handle all other situations that make me feel uncomfortable. I would have showed up late, so I wouldn't have had to make small talk with anybody. I would have then found the person in the room that looked the most like me. I would have made short conversation with them. And then I would have left at the first opportunity that I had. Now, when I think about how Jesus handled this situation, I highly doubt that Jesus sat around and debated the pros and cons. And thought, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really like the way these people talk. And I don't necessarily agree with all the things that these people do. I highly doubt that was Jesus' response. And I love also that Jesus didn't throw the party. I love that Jesus just showed up. He just went. Jesus just brought himself and his presence to this party and was among these people. You know what's so scary about just showing up? Is that we have to give up control of the outcome. And that doesn't feel safe. 
And we love to feel safe, don't we? Most of you don't know that I have a brother named Tim. Uh, And Tim has been in prison for the better part of my life. Now, the even sadder part of that story is that not one time in almost 30 years have I ever made an attempt to go and visit my brother. Not one time. And I was getting ready to prepare this message. And I'm talking to you about moving towards people that have been excluded and shunned. And I thought, how could I stand up there and encourage and challenge this congregation to move towards uncomfortable situations and people that are different from them when I can't even do it myself? And so Tuesday night, I went to go visit my brother in jail for the very first time. (laughs) And so picture the scene with me. I, I showed up in this room. And it was just like you see in the movies. It really was. And I felt like everyone was looking at me. And it's because everybody was looking at me. And I'm standing in line to, you fill out a form and, and you, you, know, you write out who you're there to see. And, and I pulled out my ID and I have a big goofy smile on my face in my driver's license picture. And so I'm holding my, my card with my ID, getting ready to see my brother. And this girl behind me, she starts making small talk. And she's like, oh, you smile in your driver's license picture? And I'm like, well, yeah. And she got this sassy look on her face and she said, I always smile in my mug shots. And I'm thinking, ha ha. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, get me out of here. (laughs) Who are these people? I don't want to be here. I don't fit in here. I don't feel comfortable here and I want to go home. And so I went back to my chair and I sat down and I, I tried not to make eye contact with anybody. But eventually they called my name. And I walked through this door. Walked through these metal gates. I sat down at this table, separated from my brother by plexiglass, and I picked up the phone. And for the first time in years, I looked my brother Tim in the face. You know what the first thing I said to him was? Man, you have a lot of gray hair. (laughs) And after he forgave me for that rude comment, we, uh, we had a really great time. It was a short time. It was only about 20, 25 minutes that, that they let me have with my brother. And in that short 20 to 25 minutes, I bet Tim said, thanks for coming 30, 40 times. And his face lit up that his little brother came to see him. And I got to tell Tim that I love him. And I got to ask him for forgiveness, for ostracizing him from my life and our family. And I got to receive that forgiveness. A missionary that works for Campus Crusade for Christ named Ron Hutchcraft preached a sermon called Rescue the Dying. And he shared this analogy, a story from his life of when he went on a hike and he was comparing it to his Christian life. And he said, I was on this hike in Colorado and the path was really wide and it was really safe. A lot of people had traveled this path and then he came across this big copper pipe that ran across a stream. And the copper pipe had gotten all green and mossy and really slippery. And the water was going over this at a rapid pace. And he said, I realized that I had gone as far as I could go safely. I've gone as far as I can go safely. And at some point, if we really want to follow Jesus, we have to realize that if we just hang out with people like us, that think like us and talk like us and act like us, that we have gone as far as we can go safely. But I don't believe that Jesus calls us to be safe. I don't find that anywhere in the scriptures, actually. 
One of our missions pastors, Mike Holtz, that was up sharing announcements, said this a while back. Let's not sit around and try to change the way that we think. We're good at that, aren't we? Talking about how we want to change. So he said, let's not sit around and try to change our thinking. Let's go. And maybe that will change the way that we think. I love that, don't you? Because you know what? Something happens when you sit across the table from someone who's different than you. Yes, there might be awkward silences and you might get something stuck in your teeth. But you're also confronted as you sit across face to face that you're staring into the face of a human being that Jesus loves. And you're staring into the face of a human being that Jesus Christ came and died for. And you realize that maybe, just maybe, that you're not so different after all. I can see Jesus at this party hanging out with people who probably would have been terrified to approach him on the streets. And now they're blown away in his presence the afternoon that Jesus the Messiah came and ate with the sinners. And put his arm around them. And shared a meal. They would have never forgotten a day like that. And neither would have Levi. The story goes on and it says. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law. Complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Can't you see the look on their face when they say it? So Jesus answered them. Healthy people don't need a doctor. But sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. But those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. And when I think about why the Pharisees responded this way, it actually makes a lot of sense. They had never known anything different. They'd never seen anything different. No one had ever showed them anything different. And I believe our hearts would want to move out to these places, but a lot of us don't know any different. Because we've never seen any different. And we've never experienced anything different. But we all have our people, who who it is that we think should be at the table, and maybe even more importantly, who we think shouldn't. And what these Pharisees were doing, they were saying that they deserved a place at Jesus' table. And you know what happens when we we demand a place at a table? When we say we deserve a seat at a certain table? We push someone else off of their seat. When we demand a place at the table, we push someone else aside. We move them to the outer circle of our world. You know, you could say a lot of things about my brother Tim. But I bet Tim knows that he needs a physician. And as I sat across the table from my brother, he told me that he knows he's a man in need of grace. And he told me that he knows he needs forgiveness from God and from our family and from many. And when I left there, quite honestly, I wish there was a bigger piece of me that knows what Tim knew. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, used to say, if he could teach the American church, if he could teach the church today one thing, only one thing, what do you think he would want to teach him? He said he'd want to teach him how sinful they really are. Because you know what happens when we realize how deep the realities of our sin is? When we realize how great our sin is, we realize how incredible our Savior is. And you know what happens when we realize how broken we really are? We're able to accept and move towards other people that are broken too. These scribes and Pharisees in this story, 
in their own opinion, were free from sin. They thought that they were blameless and they didn't think they stood in any need of Jesus, the great physician who came to heal the maladies of their souls. Jesus said that they will know who we are by the way that we love each other. And I believe that if you're in this room, you want to become more like Jesus. And if we indeed want to become more like Jesus, let's stop sitting around trying to change the way that we think. Let's go. Let's move towards people who have ostracized themselves or the people that we have willfully pushed aside. And let's leave a seat at our table for them because that's what Jesus would do. Amen.